Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about this week? So my brother will read a lot of like medical books. And most of the time, I'm like, I don't need anything to do with that book, sir, because he is <laughs> becoming a doctor. And I don't really need to know a lot of the things that he's reading. Uh, but he was talking about this book, which is called Unreasonable Hospitality. It's by Will Gadara. Because um, my brother's also like a very passionate uh, food consumer. And he lived in New York for a few years and became very entrenched in the New York food scene. Uh, and so this is a book about um, Will Gadara and his journey with Eleven Madison Park, which is now a, I believe it's still a three Michelin star restaurant and it has four stars from the New York Times. But when he joined them, it only had two stars from only. the New York Times. Only. It only had two stars and zero Michelin stars. Oh, okay. So, like, in his time there, they went from being a two-star, like, restaurant to a four-star with three Michelin stars. Three Michelin stars is, like, it. Like, you cannot have more than that. Like, you are in the best of the best at that point. And he even talks about as they were like working their way up to that, they the first time ever had done a like top 50 restaurants in the world and they were invited. And like they were still like rising up like they didn't have their three Michelin stars. They hadn't had their four stars yet. So like to be a top 50 restaurant at that point was like insane. Mm. Um, and they won 50th and they were so pissed about it. <laughs> And he used that as, like, kind of the story to, like, the the through piece of, like, and we were really upset about that. And it was like, dude, you're one of the top 50 restaurants. And he's like, yeah, I guess we should appreciate the fact that, like, we're on the list. But, like, being last on the list does not feel good. And it pushes them. And I think at the end, I forgot now. I think they end up being number one on the list or whatever. Um, but it's really all about unreasonable hospitality because in a restaurant that is going for that many stars like that's what your stars are based off of it's like half food half experience mm -hmm. and he's not a chef he's not a cook he's like front of house so like service so he worked closely with a chef on the restaurant and they like worked together but his whole piece was the front of house experience rather than the food and making sure that the food was experienced exactly how it should be and that the people were having the best experience possible. Wow. I'm intrigued. Let's let's go deeper. Okay, so I want to start for with a quote um, that was towards the beginning of the book that I think is a good way to get this all started off, which is from Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. So if we're talking about unreasonable hospitality, like that's it in a nutshell is like people remember how they felt, how you made them feel, but the rest of it is all just building to that, which I think is interesting. So when we think about hospitality 
I think that's what we want to think about is that feeling that people take from the experience. Yeah. Can I take us in a really different direction from three Michelin stars? So when I think about, (laughs) I'm almost embarrassed to say this out loud. When I think about some of the best hospitality I've ever experienced, it was at Disney World. Say more. Because everywhere you go, people are like smiling and happy to help you and want to attend to your every need. Every I remember going to what is the restaurant that like you can't get into unless you book it months in advance in the castle in Magic Kingdom? Oh, I don't know. Anyways, we went to that restaurant. It's fancy, whatever. And I just remembered that whole experience being insane. But even just being in the parks, they really want you to have a fantastic time there. That was my sense. Mm -hmm. You are Mm -hmm. obsessed with Disney. Do you feel like you have that experience? Yeah, I think it's that... The the thing with Disney for me, and you've seen my notes, I don't even have Disney on this list, um, is like, you know that you're going to have a good experience uh-huh. every time because that's 98% of what you're paying for is like, everything is going to be great. People are going to be like cheery. Happy, They're going to make joyful. you feel great. Right? Like you're going to go in and like feel a different way than before you walked into the gates, mm-hmm. um, which I think is so impressive that they can be consistent with that. And like everybody will tell you, most people will tell you the exact same thing unless some torturous thing happened to them on their journey. Of course. Um, But yeah, it's amazing that Disney can make people feel that way consistently, which shows you like they have unreasonable hospitality. Yeah. So it's not a three Michelin star restaurant, (laughs) but it does feel like unreasonable hospitality. And it gets me excited. We're going to Disney World soon for my daughter's dance competition. Oh, one of those. That's fun. Yeah, I'm excited to be there again and remember the unreasonable hospitality again. That's cool. What about you? What's the best dining experience or hospitality experience you've ever had? I have two. One of them is... Actually, they're both super inexpensive. So... Um, I, when it comes to food, my thing is like, I want the food to taste really good and I'm not, I don't care if I'm eating it like on a picnic table outside or like I'm eating it in a fancy restaurant. And honestly, more often than not, my preference would be not to have it in a fancy restaurant because I feel like you, I don't know. I just don't like the way that you have to act in those places. Like, I feel like you have to act a little hoity toity. Okay, but for me, the two that stick out the most, one of them is a consistent thing for me, which is Howlin' Ray's. It's a hot chicken place here in L.A. There's two of them. They, every time, the experience is just so insane. It's so good. They they don't have that many things on the menu, but I feel like, okay, so I'll tell you. We went. My wife and I went once and we sat inside and you wait a long time for this place, like hours, like you will wait hours. And like almost everyone that's come to L.A., I've been like, we're going to go wait. And they're like, we don't want to wait in a line for three hours for a chicken sandwich. Not once have I had a person at the end of the meal not tell me we'll do that again next time we come. So my wife and I were going there to have a sandwich. And then I think we were going to a baseball game or something later. So we ordered one sandwich to share. We sat down and they're like, you guys ordered one sandwich, but there's two of you. And we're like, yeah. And then two guys showed up and they like, one guy held a sandwich out 
And then another guy put a sandwich on. He's like, we just doubled your sandwiches and then handed us both sandwiches. And they're like, oh we're not charging for that one. Like, enjoy your sandwich. Oh, my and gosh. I feel like they remember us when we come and they see like hundreds of people. But like, they will introduce themselves to you and be like, hi, I'm Mario or hi, I'm Louis. Luis. Like, what's your name? Where are you from? Like, we've seen you before. Like, what's up? And we went to the new one. They opened up a Pasadena one a few months ago. And as we were sitting and eating, and what did they give us that time? That time, oh, because that's right. They gave uh, Prince, my son, like a waffle. Like, they hadn't been making waffles yet. And so they gave him a waffle, and he was just like uh, over the moon because everybody loves waffles. Um, but I saw them as we were sitting there, they were like, all the staff was like, regardless of level would like, would go around and introduce themselves. We're talking to people, seeing if they needed anything, like making sure everyone was going to leave with one, a special, like one-on-one moment with someone that worked there. But then two, like no one was going to be upset about anything with any part of this meal, Mm. which I think is just like all you can expect from any place but like most places aren't going to go that far to like introduce themselves like i can't even think of the last time i was in a restaurant and someone introduced themselves well i love that you're highlighting this though because now it make it brings to mind another very hospitable place that i frequent often i'm hoping to go there this afternoon sovereign grounds it's this coffee shop in minneapolis it's nothing I feel bad saying this. It's like, it's not like it's like the best coffee in the world or something like that, but it's the hospitality. You feel Uh like your family when you walk in there. Hakan greets everybody by name. He asks like how your kids are doing, what's going on in your life. Like, are you still working out of that building? You know, like he cares how, like, how did you fare through the pandemic? Whatever it was, he cares. And he remembers. I hadn't been in there for months throughout the pandemic, probably years Still remembered my name. Still remembered every detail about my life. And I'm thinking, this guy, he has to see a million people like this. And you, he makes you feel like it's just you. But it's everybody that walks in the door there. Mm-hmm. He knows that. And I, I shouldn't judge their coffee. I don't know. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I only order chai. So maybe they do have great coffee. And that's what keeps people coming in. But my sense is it's more likely him. Or it's like a mix of both, right? Like... And I think that's what makes these like Michelin star restaurants so good is when the food is amazing. And then the experience on top of that is insane. I think that's when people are like, you need to go check out this restaurant. Like he was talking about a table that they had at um, 11 Madison Park and they call it EMP, which is a lot less letters to say. But he was he was like asking them, oh, like what did you guys eat? Like, where are you guys from? And they're like, oh, we're in town from wherever. And like, we made reservations at all these places. And so we've been eating like the top things. They're like, but we never got to have a hot dog, like a street dog. And we're about to take off for our flight. And so he like sent out one of the guys to go get a hot dog from the hot dog guy, cut it up into four pieces and then like served it to them. And he was like, that cost us like two bucks or three bucks. He's like, but that made their experience. So it's like, how do we go out of our way to do unreasonable hospitality and it and it's not like you have to spend a lot of money to do that like sometimes you do have to spend a lot of money to do it but sometimes you don't right yes. and sometimes it's just getting that that experience for the people based on what they want and part of that is getting them to talk to you yes. to tell you so that you can unreasonably be hospitable to them yes yes 
oh, this this is making me feel all warm and fuzzy inside and making me want to be really hospitable. I love this. Okay, so I said I was going to talk about two places. Okay, my other place is in Hong Kong. It's called Tim Ho Wan. It's a dim sum place. So dim sum is like small plates. Um, and sometimes it's on a cart. Sometimes it's just a menu and you like order whatever you want. They have one Michelin star and they're always like at the top of the list of being the most inexpensive Michelin restaurant mm. because most of the plates there cost like two to three dollars. Wow. Um, but we ate there a few times when we were in Hong Kong because we went the first time. We were like, this is insane. We got these um, pork baos. So bao is like a a bread that they have in, in China. And sometimes you'll see it open and sometimes you'll see it as like a bun. Um, and they'll stuff it with things. What they do is they stuff it with, I think, char siu, which is like a barbecue pork. But then on top, they do like a layer of sugar and it like crystallizes. Yum. I think we ordered like an order of it. And then we ordered it at least two or three more times when we were sitting there and we kept going back for it because it was so good. But the experience was just like insane. Mm. Like, Always the same, very efficient, and, like, just clockwork. And so it was one of those things where, like, you're getting it for food and the experience. And it wasn't, like, a personal experience. And honestly, I don't know that I would have had a personal experience because I don't speak um, in Hong Kong. They speak, what is it? Is it Cantonese or Mandarin? I don't remember. I don't know. Whichever one, I don't speak it. So, like, it probably wouldn't have been like a super excellent experience had we been able to converse. But like the fact that we could order the food, get the food and like have a great experience was like insane to me. It's really cool. Okay. So I want to talk about the things that stuck out from this book for me and, and maybe they'll get people excited about being unreasonable with their hospitality. So the first one was um, give advice, but also explain why you are giving that advice. And so this is this is a piece of advice he got from his or he inferred from the way that his dad always gave him advice was that his dad would give him advice, but like clearly articulate why he was giving him that advice at that moment. And I feel like a lot of times. And we've said this before, and I'll say it again, is like a lot of times when I give people unsolicited advice, it's advice that I wish I had at that point in my life or career or at that moment in doing that thing. And so I'll always tell people like, you didn't ask me for this, but like, here's why I'm telling you this. And it's because I wish I had someone who had told me this thing at this point Mm. so that I knew that thing. So as you're thinking about giving people advice, like think about explaining why you're giving that advice in addition to the advice itself. Mm. This one's hard for me because I feel like advice giving is beaten out of you when you go through coach certification. (laughs) But maybe what I can reflect on this one is I appreciate uh, the wisdom that people are giving to me in this season of life with my dad's deteriorating health. So I've had a lot of people give advice and usually it's they're following this principle of also telling me why they gave it. So someone recently Uh shared with me echoing like you're not going to regret any decisions that you make to just put things on pause in your other life to to be and spend time with him someone else recommended take a picture of his hands you're going to be shocked at how much you're going to miss his hands and i she's like that's the thing that i miss most and i wish i had a picture of my dad's hands you know that's them practicing this principle and i love it when people do that and i found most it's of the, the same thing when you really get married resonant. i feel like 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, I totally do advice. I feel like giving when you get married, marriage. everybody's like, "Well," and it's like, "I didn't ask for any of this advice, but thank you, everyone, for <laughs> giving me all of this advice." Yes. Um, but I feel like that was another time when I just got like a bunch of unsolicited advice from people because you're like, at least I was. You're like too nervous to ask people for advice about weddings. Because you're, like, thinking about a thousand things. So when people are just like, yo, here's the thing I wish I remembered at my wedding. And it was like, oh, that's good. Thank you. I imagine babies, too. I, I didn't go through the baby phase, but I imagine when, when people are expecting a child that there's a lot of advice giving that gets handed out there. I feel like people have stopped doing that because well, every baby is different and every family is different. And I feel like when people seem like they want support with a specific thing, then you can help them. But like, how do you even know what to tell someone? Like, oh, here are my top 10 baby tips. Like, I don't know. Yeah, And I I wouldn't know because we didn't have that phase. <laughs> so maybe not. <laughs> okay, so that's the first one. Um, the second one, and this one is really about unreasonable hospitality, is this rule of 95-5. And so he was saying... Um, Manage 95% of your budget down to the penny and the other 5% spend foolishly because that 5% is what's going to make the impact on your customers and their experience. So what he talked about was he had worked at the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, and he ran a gelato cart for them because he like, that's what he did before he got to this other restaurant. And yes, they were sourcing the best gelato and yes... They were like the gelato cart itself was like adorable and stuck out, but they had these like really unique spoons that they got from Italy and everybody always talked about those spoons <laughs> and they were like stupid expensive, but because he f found a way to make the 95% work, he could be foolish with that 5%. That's really beautiful. It kind of reminds the me of the 80-20 rule that I've heard before, but different, different. Yes. The other example he gave was um, when they do wine pairings, you can either take, I don't know how much wine pairing costs, $100, right? And you're going to get five wines. So either all the wines can be $20 or you can make the wines 10 for the first four or 15 or whatever. So that last one can be like a 40 or $50 glass of wine, which is going to be huge and an experience that like people will never forget like oh i got to try this like what was his example a grand Cru burgundy which is going to be like such an insane experience for them that they're really going to remember it as opposed to oh i had five really good wines well i had four really good wines and one like insanely memorable wine and so i'm very thankful that like they allocated themselves that way because it adds to the experience how do you think you do this um, so, in your, your real life? Do you think you do this in your real life? I think I think twofold. I think if you do it in your personal life, it's like, okay, how do we manage our expenses and do that really diligently with our 95% and then save that 5% to like do... He says, um, spend that 5% with tremendous intention. I want to know... I, I'm asking like literally, what do you spend your 5% on? I'm curious. I have Me? some guesses. Yeah. My 5%? Yeah. I think when I when I'm tremendously intent it's when 
I think it's that unexpected thing. So, like, Prince and I, uh, we went to the doctor the other day, and then we were supposed to have dinner at home, but, like, we went and picked up dinner for everybody, and we, like, got dessert, and it was like, no, we're not going to have that dinner tonight. We'll have it tomorrow night, and, like, we're going to have, like, a special dinner because, like, we're out, and it's going to be, like, a fun way to, like, celebrate this time. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking you were going to say, like, your 3D printer or something. <laughs> it's like you're... Oh, for sure, like, my 5%, 3D printer. percent I get to do for whatever sure. I want. I get to have a 3D printer, oh, yeah. damn it. I do. <laughs> and print whatever I the I heck nice 3D I want. <laughs> whatever I want. Yeah, but, I mean, it's those things, right? Like, if you can feel really good about um, managing that 95% to the penny, then that 5% becomes something that is spent with tremendous intent and will mean so much more to you. Yeah. Right? Like, it will make the 95 of Penny watching feel worthwhile yes. to have my nice 3D printer that I have or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm thinking of this, like, cheap $3 giant slinky that Talia wanted. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it is really nice that I'm managing 95% of the budget so that we have 5% or, or whatever that we can just, like, slush towards this giant $3 slinky that she wants from the Target dollar section. Or the surprise and delight moments when I, I take her to dance after school on Wednesdays and I'll pick her up. And if we have enough time, we go and get a hot chocolate at the coffee shop before. We don't do it every time, but it's like if we're feeling special. It's special. It's special when it happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Um, And I think about it, too, like with your teams, right? Like if you have a budget for your for what you like, if you are on the part of the company that manages budgets and your piece of the organization like has x amount of budget like if there's a way for you to manage it down to the penny for 95 percent, then it lets your team do something really fun and exciting with that five percent which is like a surprise and delight for your customers right like how do we how do we add something special to the box or add something unique to the experience that they're getting with us because we've managed that 95 and that five percent gives us a little slush to like go above and beyond that unreasonable hospitalityness of it. Yes. Okay. Um, The next one is run towards what you want, not away from what you want to avoid. And I feel like we've talked about this, but it's always good to re-remind everybody, like, you want to focus on what you're excited about, run towards the light, not away from the darkness. Mm -hmm. And if you're focused on that, I think it makes it a lot easier to keep pushing towards it. Mm -hmm. It's that running away from the darkness, I think, is the hardest part. Because it's like, well, what am I going towards? All I know is what I'm avoiding. But if you know what you're focused on and what you're going towards, then I think it makes it easier to keep your your goal in sight. Yeah, I would go so far as to say, instead of running away from what you want to avoid, sit still. <laughs> like, you're better off sitting still than continuing to live in a way that you're just constantly running away from what you don't want in your life. Because you're not going to get to what like you do that. want either. Yes. So if you know, run towards it. If you don't, just wait. Yes. Wait until you know. I like that. Um, he said the best advice for starting a new job was not to cannonball, but to easily s- ease slowly into the pool, which you and I have said multiple What episode times. was that? The episode about the guy and the band and the keyboard? That's what this makes me think of. Where the guy yes. said, like, 
literally Radiohead. did not play Radiohead. He literally did not play. That was slowly easing into the pool. Rami, I think about that episode all the freaking time. I've shared that with so many people. 150. Course, episode 150. 150. Waiting waiting to add. Yes. Waiting to add. This feels really in alignment with episode 150. Wait to add. Ease into the pool slowly. Do not jump in like a cannonball. Yes. Okay. We got two more. The next one is asking the question of why do we do it this way? And if the answer is because that's how it's been done, then that process rule needs to be revisited to have a clear intention and strategy behind it. This is another one. I think is is a question we ask at the beginning of things when we join new teams when we have new processes or new not new processes but like getting into processes that have existed for a while and asking that question i think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of fortitude i think when someone says well that's how we've done it to continue down that path of saying okay but why like what's the strategy mm-hmm. or what's the intention behind this and so it's not an easy thing, and I will I will grant you that. It's a very difficult thing when someone goes, well, that's just how we've done it. And then if you ask, well, but why? And they can't answer. I think that's, hopefully, if they're willing to, I think that's when you can have a really nice conversation about why it's been done that way, and if there's a way to do it better, and if there's at least a way to make sure that it has strategic intent behind it being done a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why questions are always a little bit edgy, because they... I've talked about this before. They make people feel defensive. I'm thinking of a time recently when one of my brothers asked me, why are you doing it that way? (laughs) So yeah, it's important to have that conversation. And I get curious if we could frame the question differently. So it's an open opener instead of a defenser. I digress. I think he likes the idea of defending it though, to see like if there's a real strategy behind why it's done that way. Like he wants to know. Yes. And if you are asking that question, well, this is a shitty, uh, a a shitty question is one that you already know the answer to. So if you're asking that question and you expect the person to be saying, that's how it's always been done, maybe ask a different question. (laughs) Because for sure, then it's not something worth defending. And we don't want to put people in a defensive place when it's not something worth defending. Because it, if Absolutely. it's just always been done that way, it's probably shitty needs to change. People are going to get their foot s- feet stuck deeper in the mud. I'm going on a total tangent here. I just am very sensitive to why questions. <laughs> Rami, what's the well, next I think one? it's fair too. But maybe it's the way that we set up the question, right? Maybe it's the, hey, this is an interesting process. Is there a strategy behind why we've been doing it this way? Or has it just always been done this way? And then maybe if they're like, no, it's always been done this way. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, how might we make this a better process? Better question. Rather than than doing it that current yes. way. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, the last one. And I think this is really interesting. And I think it's something that will connect very specifically with some of us, but not all of us. The idea of being more personalized with gifts and not, well, I think it can be all gifts, but the examples he uses are with realtors and car dealers. And so he says, like, if you're a realtor, you've talked to these people a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what they are into, what they're looking for a house for, and, like, the specific things. So, like, leaving those people a bottle of champagne, unless they tell you we really like champagne and we really like medium-level champagne <laughs> that's not expensive, like, that's not a good gift for them. Like, a good gift is, like, 
oh, you told us um, you're really into food. So like here are the here are my favorite restaurants in your neighborhood, and here's a gift card to to one or two of those restaurants. Yeah. Or I know you've got a little kid. Here are all the parks that are within walking distance, and here's like a few toys that would make sense to bring with you to the park for that child of that age instead of a bottle of champagne. And it's not like they have to do anything different. Like they've been talking to people. They know what they want. Like just be more personalized in how you give them that gift that you're already going to give them anyways. I really like that one. It's there's such it's such a great example tying back to that sort of unreasonable hospitality. Pay attention to the details. Gift based on the details. He says the same thing for like a car dealer. Like if the person's buying it for like cuz they have a they're buying a van because they have kids or something like maybe you help them install the car seats but then get them like an organizer for the back of the doors or the seats so that they've got stuff in there for the kids and you get them i don't know some goldfish and then a like little shop vac vacuum so because you know that the goldfish are going to get crushed into the ground because if anyone has a small child (laughs) goldfish are everywhere they exist you you never bought goldfish but they are everywhere they've always existed So, yeah, think about where you're doing things just because you've done them in terms of gift giving. And and how can you be unreasonable with that hospitality? Like, make it unique to those people as opposed to, oh, you bought a car. I'm going to throw a freaking bow on it. Good luck. Or I'm going to put the fancy foot things in it. Like, great. Awesome. (laughs) I feel so different than the last 25 people who just bought the same car from you today and got the exact same gift. Yeah. Like, how can we... How can we make that experience so good that people want to talk about it, right? Like, people only want to talk about the top 5% and the bottom 5%. They don't want to talk about that 90 in the middle. Yeah. So, like, how do you shift yourself out of that 90 and put yourself in that top 5? Yes. It's important. So, that's it. Like that's it. unreasonable. That's unreasonable hospitality. Um, By the way, I've never think- gotten a gift for buying a car. <laughs> They That's never even like thinking. put in the like no. the dumb and I haven't bought a like, few cars. Mud pads. I'm like really jealous right now. I bought a few cars. I've only bought one house, and I do remember the realtor gift, and it was not memorable. Like it was memorable, but not personalized. Uh, yeah. So that was where I was thinking about the whole time you were talking. About. I was like, you've gotten gifts from a car dealer. I've never gotten gifts from a car dealer for buying a car. Anyways, you were gonna wrap us up. <laughs> I just think it's like, think about as you go through life, like where are those places you're getting unreasonable hospitality? You're probably going back to them a lot or telling people to go there. Like, what is it about those experiences and how can you leverage that into your line of work or or into your life so that you can be part of that 5% that is the part that's getting talked about in, in a unique way and in an exciting way? So... We want you guys to connect with us on Instagram, on LinkedIn. I want to hear about your experiences that were unreasonably hospitable and that just blew you away. And then we'll hopefully have an amazing list for all of our listeners of places or things to go and try out. And we can all have unreasonable hospitality. I love it. With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. <laughs>